Black Wealth Matters, Episode 3, Dr. Nicole Garner-Scott. I feel like cultural sensitivity has to play a large role in the finance space and in money talks and uh, just across the board. In our next episode, we welcome Dr. Nicole Garner-Scott, who is the Atlanta-based founder of Amount Financial Services. She's dedicated her career to creating financial breathing room for households in underrepresented communities, helping them create realistic life plans to fit within their budgets. She also focuses on legacy building and generational wealth. She's a sought-after speaker and has received an honorary doctorate for her work in business from the Obama Association. Together, Dr. Scott and I explore some of the historical barriers to wealth that have continued to be roadblocks for people in the Black community, how the financial expert community can be more sensitive and mindful of disenfranchised communities when offering advice. Dr. Scott also shares some of her wide-scale contributions to empowering others to change their financial trajectories. Dr. Nicole Garner-Scott, welcome to So Money. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to share your work with our audience. You are up to a lot these days, helping many people, particularly women in the uh, minority group, Black women, achieve wealth. And and so let's Mm -hmm. just start with that because I think there's a real startling statistic. I actually discovered this on your website that the median net worth of a Black family in America today is $17,000 compared to a white family's median net worth 13 times higher. And you have this really smart saying, which is that your paycheck, your income kind of helps you with the day-to-day, but um, your wealth is really what establishes legacy and keeps you going further ahead. So would love for to open up our conversation, just hearing your thoughts on this racial wealth gap and, and what your ideas are around that. It's a very pivotal time, I like to think, in our country's history where we're finally addressing this more seriously. But what do you think Mm -hmm. is kind of contributing Mm -hmm. to this and the steps forward? Definitely. So first off, thank you for having me on and shining light on Black wealth at this time, something I'm very passionate about. And just being able to shine more light to a lot of the myths that we have surrounded ourselves with. I I think during this time, we're starting to see a lot of things being exposed, right? We're, I mean, just from COVID to um, the injustice to just anytime you turn on the news, it's like, oh, wow, this was something I thought. And I realized maybe that's not the case. And so when it comes to like the racial wealth gap and those different things, a lot of things are going to start to come to light a lot more, just just what's happened generationally and uh, how history plays a big role in that. And then just, just what's happening now. I did an amazing interview the other day that talks about how COVID-19 will greatly increase the racial wealth gap at this time. People aren't necessarily thinking of that because you might not see it immediately. But over time, as far as those who are who are financially impacted at great levels will start to really aggregate in the African-American community and the Latino communities in regards to 
to really growing disparity. So even when it comes to many people in our community not being prepared as far as having estate planning and and wills, they will not be able to fully transfer things. And of course, many people have passed, you know, during this time without being able to really transfer their wealth in in today's day and age, Um, you know, property being lost left and right just a lot of those things that are transpiring that will have very long-term effects. And so a part of my mission is to to really educate in that space and to really shine light and solutions mm-hmm. to what's transpiring. Yeah, I want to talk about those solutions with you. And you used the word myths earlier on and talking about some of the misperceptions of when we talk about Black wealth. And, and to your point, you're right, without wills right now more than ever, there's unfortunately a lot of people that out of necessity are going to have to pass down their their wealth, their financial legacies. If they can't do that, what a shame. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there was a statistic, perhaps bef- it was actually before COVID-19, there was an estimate that the, uh, the median wealth of Black Americans will fall to zero by 2053. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so now we know that COVID-19 is going to potentially accelerate the wealth gap. We know that um, there are systemic problems. Do you think that with this awakening and hopefully more education that we could turn the statistic around starting today? So I feel like the power of social media and the advancement in technology is starting to keep or starting to stop the perpetuation of falsities that are, that have been passed on for generations. So I was watching, I, I believe is it was TikTok. It was this young Caucasian girl who was battling her parents and they were, you know, quoting statistics on um, things that they have grown up learning or, you know, that the news has fed them. And she was basically saying, hey, mom and dad, this is not true. And the things that you're thinking, these, these are warped statistics. And um, she was really you know, just having that 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 racial talk with her own parents. I feel like when you cut on the news now and you see the protest, whereas if it was a, a Black Lives Matter protest, you would probably see about 85% communities of color being out there. I feel like this go around, you see such a large percentage of the entire world saying this is enough and things have to change. And even, you know, a few days ago, the mayor of D.C. Paint, had the, the street painted with Black Lives Matter on the, the streets leading to the White House. So I feel like there is a large awakening happening. And when the awakening happens, when there starts to be an open mindset for, hey, maybe things aren't the way they are because of how I've been told, maybe it's a deeper level, then that education can start to to really take place. And so for decades and for centuries, many people thought, hey, it, you know, I can just pull myself up by my own bootstraps and get wealthy, you know, or I can figure out what I need to do to put myself in a better scenario. But there were a lot of systematic things in place that prevented certain groups from advancing that weren't necessarily in place for other groups. And so even when you look at current today's day, like, you know, when it comes to certain um, industries such as housing and you look at redlining, redline, redlining still heavily exists. When you look at the labor market, just the, the, the gap on, you know, between gender, between race, those different things, there, there is a constant fight happening to equalize that across the board. So it's a little bit more than, Hey, why don't you just 
you know, get out there and work. And, you know, if you put your mind to it, you can make something of yourself. (laughs) It's, it's so many other factors that are in place. And I feel like the, the, the power goes to the youth at this moment because the, the mask has been lifted. The, the veil has been removed because all we could do was go by what our parents said and what our parents' parents said for, for, uh, any, any ethnicity across the board. You, you pretty much gathered a lot of your information from what was taught in your home and what was passed down through your generational talks. Um, but now because the internet just opens it wide up for everyone, you're able to kind of make your own decisions a little bit more. And if you want to take that deep dive, like if you, if something we say in today's podcast makes you want to go back and be like, well, let me check those statistics. Then it, then you have access to get them. It's not hidden. It's not, you know, you have to know somebody to know somebody, you can just Google, go to like the Brookings Institute or, you know, any of the other institutes that are putting out these reports and just look up the the racial wealth gap. And you can really take a deep dive into studying, you know, what's going on. You mentioned redlining and just for context for listeners, you know, I had to look up redlining a few years ago. I was like, what What are you talking about? Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. I can't assume that people all know what that means, but it goes back to the 30s. It was the beginning of what created a system where it was virtually impossible for black people to become property owners, which we talk about all the time in the personal finance community. And you're a Mm -hmm. big expert in the community about that's like a huge way to sort of build wealth and establish wealth. And you mentioned something really important earlier, which was that there are a lot of insensitivities uh, and perhaps a lot of it is unconscious when we talk about how to achieve wealth. When we talk to mm-hmm. broad audiences, we forget that within that audience, there there might be Black individuals who str- you know struggle against these systemic issues and saying like, oh, if I can do it, so can you is sort of mm-hmm. a blanket statement that falls on deaf ears. Like, you, you know, it's it's not right. And mm-hmm. I want to hear from you, what are some better ways to communicate financial empowerment and literacy to the Black community in a way such that it isn't insensitive, it is accurate, and it is empowering? Um, you were quoted in, I think, your Atlanta paper about how you uh, witnessed Susie Orman, who's like, gosh, I mean, she's like, you know, the personal finance expert of our times, mm-hmm. who and I'm sure she wasn't trying to be insensitive, but she was like, if you're having financial issues with your mom, ditch your mom. And you're like, you can't tell that to a black woman, like family comes first. <laughs> and many close knit ethnicities, you know, just, just depending. Cause I mean, sure. you can do that in an Indian family. Of you course. can do that. And that, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's completely different when you're raised in a, in a communal format. And when it's a communal format, there's a lot of, mindset issues that are passed down from generation to generation. So I had to do a talk in New York where we really delved into a lot of first generation millionaires feeling uh, survivor's remorse or large amounts of regret because they made it and their family members berate them because of that. And so that's completely different than when you come from a family where everyone's made it. Right. Or where the expectation is for you to make it and and then comparing that to you make it and half of your earnings go to support your parents and your siblings and your siblings, kids and, you know, those different things. And it's like, well, how how do you have this six and seven figure job and 
you're not able to take these trips all the time and you're not able to do these different things. And I know we both have these amazing jobs. What are you doing with your money? And it's like, I'm supporting my whole family, you know? And so it's just a lot of different things that um, happen behind closed doors that have been infused generationally across that, that time. But as far as your question in regards to solutions, I feel like cultural sensitivity has to play a large role in the finance space and in money talks and uh, just across the board. What I, what I loved that you did, Farnish, is when you did your, your pop-up and so many cool things that you do. I've followed you for, for quite some time. And just how you bring a lot of awareness to things that people just take for granted or, or not take a, another look or another perspective at what they're they're looking at. Um, but I feel like a, a strong part of what we have to remember is the how culture plays a large role in financial decision making, in financial experiences and in financial trauma. And so when you really understand those different areas, then you know that it's your, I always take it as my responsibility in the financial space that I can't give out blanketed information or generic information across the board um, because someone might have been traumatized financially in their childhood, right? If you grew up in a very low income household and money had a very negative connotation to you, then there has to be growth and healing in that area first to even get into a good relationship with your with your money thoughts and, and how you think. And you uh, have not been exposed to conversations. I, I talk about in college is when I really started to get exposed to high level money conversations. I had a roommate and I think it was one of our spring breaks. We went back to her home. You know, I was just like, wow, <laughs> I didn't know people live like this first off. And then when we were inside our home, you know, her family was telling her to remember to stop by the wealth manager's office. She had some paperwork to sign. They were talking about the family business and they were just talking about wills and trust and, you know, the estate. And it was just so many things I was hearing for the first time that, that wasn't normal conversation in my household growing up. And so that makes such a large difference too. Uh, that that base level education. Many of my constituents in college, they were gifted property, you know, at very young. They were they were 800 credit scores uh, and above, you know, very early in life where um, many people in my community, you know, are, are unfortunately parents had already misused those those credit um, those credit opportunities and you know, adding on top of that, not really understanding student loans and needing money and all those different things compounded just, you know, starts you off at 18, 19, making some of your worst financial decisions you can possibly make. And so, so yeah, definitely healing of the financial trauma exposure and education is very, very important and and having cultural sensitivity and and then recognizing some of the biases that, that happen in the financial space. You know, they're uh, one of the hardest things to explain to people, you know, many people feel like, you know, in communities of color, they're doing well, but they're still not doing well enough for a true wealth manager to take them on. Like your revenue has to be at a certain level for you to have a wealth manager that can advise you. But there are so many people that need, you know, money management, money advisement, 
that just haven't reached reached that that level of of income. And so that's pretty much the gap that our that my company focuses on is helping those who may not qualify, you know, at the six and seven figure mark to have their high level wealth manager, but still very much in need and desperately in need of strategy and education when it comes to their money. One of the things that you have attributed your success to is to find those mentors. You had really good mentors. Who were those mentors and what did they teach you? And how can we find mentors for ourselves? Yes. So everyone thinks of mentors when it comes to their career, or you think of mentors when it comes to just your empowerment space. But having a financial mentor is such a beautiful thing. I've I've had um, quite a few people that I was exposed to that let me let me know that there were so many more levels to understanding money, accessing areas that I could really reach large gains with what I was doing. And so sometimes we're only allowed to know about level one and level two. It's like playing a video game. It's, you know, it's Super Mario Brothers. You you could get to level one and level two. And then someone in, in, in your school or in your class is like, hey, I have the I have the codes to, you know, for you to experience a whole nother side of the game. And it's like, oh wow, I didn't even know these other parts existed. And so I would definitely say my my mentors did a did a great job of helping to put me around a great accountant that, you know, really changed a lot for me, helped me to really make stronger plays with understanding tax preparation and, you know, how how me and my husband decided we wanted to save money for our son. We decided to do uh, an IRA for my son instead of a 529, even, you know, just depending upon the direction you want to go in. But even just letting us know that we had options was very important for us too. And really ushering me into spaces of exposure. And so exposure is just, I feel like is is very key in seeing the possibility. You were kind to highlight some of my work, Nicole, but you are doing so much good for your audience. You have, among many things, this incredible campaign that I want to highlight for everybody, um, the Legacy or Lose campaign. You launched this in the beginning of the year as a way to educate 100,000 people of color in the area of wealth building. How's it going with that? It's actually going really, really well. Our purpose was to really push the initiative of estate planning and making sure that there was education that is relevant to our youth and going above that. So um, we partnered with a startup, technology startup, that is able to create educational platforms for middle school, high schoolers, and college that really helps to take you through wealth building and wealth understanding and you know what truly is debt and uh, how to use credit and, you know, so many different areas that we just kind of thrust our, our youth into or thrust our young adults into without the proper preparation. So we have that side. And then for our adults, we do quite a lot in educating on um, having your will in place, you know, properly doing your estate planning. What do you need to really be able to pass on your legacy? Yeah. So we're, we're at this point, we're crossing very, very high numbers. We adjusted a lot of it to be very digital, you know, mm-hmm. after the mm-hmm. pandemic and everything has hit. And we're just very excited about it. Tell us where we can learn more and potentially support. Sure, sure. So you can go to legacyorlose.com. 
um, in regards to what we're doing with that campaign. Um, and you can go to amountfinancial.com just to find out more information in regards to my company and what we were talking about. So Nicole, what attracted you so much to financial literacy and your work? I know that it was a bit of a pivot because your background is in, I believe, marketing, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm which might explain why you're so good at teaching and sharing <laughs> the financial stuff. But um, I'm always curious to learn about how where people caught the bug when, they, when they're in this biz. Yeah, sure. So um, years back, uh, I have, I've been in the entrepreneur space for about 15 years now and just really on the forefront of doing a lot in Atlanta, have a uh, own the co-working space, a lot of different hubs and, and meeting places for entrepreneurs to meet. And so I would do a lot of speaking and coaching to entrepreneurs and really started to have a lot of transparent conversations where people would say, you know, Nicole, I have taken the leap of entrepreneurship. I went after my dreams. I quit my job. Um, but now I'm about to lose my house or I went after what they told me to. And you know, they said to believe in yourself. And now I'm in the space of getting ready to get evicted from my retail location. Atlanta was just like a a microcosm to me of not properly explaining to people uh, what is really involved in entrepreneurship from the uh, past the hype and past the, (laughs) the beginning stage one. And so even though there were businesses opening up left and right, there were businesses closing left and right. And so I felt like I needed to get into that. So before we talked about, you know, your marketing initiatives, I've been, uh, I have my PR agency, the Garner Circle PR, which I've been running for 15 years. And so, you know, people would want to sit down and talk about these large campaigns and these things. And I was like, before we talk about any of this, like your money is is not, your money plan is just, all over the place. So you won't sustain. It won't be longevity. It, it, like there's no plan to scale. There, the the cash flow is not in place. The expenditures, how the accounts are are commingling. I, just everything is out of order. And it it was such a common issue that I felt like let me delve into this. Let me serve my purpose on this earth more. And we start to have these conversations. So the the thing is and in the African-American community, a lot of money conversations had become taboo from generations passed on. You know, there was a lot of deceit that happened in, in money. Spiritually, people, you know, thought money was evil. Uh, there was no trust of the banks because of how banks operated in, in previous decades. There was no trust of telling each other about finances because you were just told it's not what you're supposed to do. And so I really wanted to open the space up more so that we can talk about money more and we could talk about money in a very safe space that could lead to some change. And you had a program scheduled in April that was the Coinference, no, sorry, the Coinfidence yes. Conference Coin-fidence. in Atlanta. Yes. Uh-huh. Tell, tell us what happened with that and if it did it go virtual. And I, you, I mean, you're doing so much and it's just such a great contribution. I want to highlight all of it. Um, Thank you. But tell me about Coinfidence. Um, sure. So Coinfidence is a play on words. Uh, so taking 
your finances and making you very uh, confident about your finances. So it's CoinFidence. Right in the midst of us getting ready to have that conference, the entire world shut down. So we are definitely taking that conference virtual and it'll happen in the fall. It, it really... We use the word money as a verb when, when we're talking about that conference, but we call it teaching you how to money. And so not taking light of where wherever people begin, what their beginning stages is. So, you know, some of us might be in a space where we have a, a strong financial literacy background and other people, this, this might be the first few conversations you're having about money. So it takes you through the gamut of money mindset all the way to investment practices, to wealth building tactics that are very solution oriented, to how to truly leave your legacy, how to create a legacy worth leaving. So the conference, yes, it'll it'll happen virtually, which I'm very excited about because all the eyeballs that are online now that didn't exist a few months ago is, is just making for amazing spaces for the last two conferences that, that I have keynoted. Um, there were easily 10 and 15,000 people on these digital platforms, whereas in person, that probably would have been a, you know, at most a 2000 or 3000 person conference. So it's just increasing that. And I think that people are truly understanding the need to have these conversations and to really do something about current scenarios in in as best way that they can. You know, earlier we were talking about sometimes the insensitive ways that personal finance advice is framed uh, to to certain groups who may have have a history of struggle, a history of systemic challenges. But look at you, right? You're somebody who is the first to admit that you grew from humble beginnings. You Mm -hmm. didn't have a lot of money conversations growing up. And so this expression that like, if I can do it, so can you, is that a fair saying coming from you? to you know your audience or what would be a, a better way of empowering your audience using yourself and your own narrative as inspiration a better way of empowering is to figure out truly where you are not necessarily in comparison to those around you um, or in an aspirational way but figure out truly where you are what your numbers truly are what are the variables in your life what are what are the things that you're dealing with that no one else is dealing with um, assess that, really write that down, really, um, plan that out and then surround yourself with someone who could just help you get to the next level. And so when it comes to where you want to go, what you want to do, if you are dealing with a lot of financial trauma, then you have to start in that financial therapy space. I call it dealing with financial therapists. Like you have to get past the uh, the guilt of making money. You have to get past not seeing yourself having money. You have to get past whatever is is making you overspend because you can repeat exactly what I did. But if I'm not dealing with that scenario or that story playing inside of my head, um, and you are, then anytime you amass money, you're going to spend it. Um, also understanding what are some of the dynamics and variables that are in your life that are causing for some of the things to transpire. I, I feel like I read a great quote on Brookings Institute. I, I util, utilize their site for a lot of things, but it says, um, wealth gives you status. 
and then gives you the ability to go into certain spaces and to use your resources in ways that other people can't. And so I bring that up to say that if you really start to understand the economic wheel that's surrounding you, then you can start to plan your moves accordingly. So if you are in a certain environment that is in no way going to ever produce fruit and you keep trying to produce fruit in that environment, it's going to be null and void, right? If you have, if you're a farmer and this soil is no good, you keep drop, you keep dropping seeds in and you keep dropping seeds in it. Sooner or later, people will just call you insane. It's, it's no, no fruit. There's no harvest that can come from this. And so once you start to empower yourself with the knowledge and information, then you can start to see your environment a little bit realer. It's just like watching the movie, The Matrix, when, when you could, well, you could start to see things from, for what they really are. When you take the red pill, when you, you know, uh, uh, see what's transpiring in front of you, then you're able to say, okay, for me to continue living in this city, I can't get to where I want to get to. Right. So, you know, some of my clients, they have aspirations to own tons of property or, you know, do different things. And I'm like, hey, can that happen in a high level market like New York? Or if you were to be in a, you know, in another city or you would, you know, your co- where your cost of living would be cut in third, would that be able to transpire? And so instead of just looking at people and saying, oh, I want to be where they want to be or, oh, you know, their journey is so, so aspirational or it's goals or, you know, anything else that people are saying. It's like you have to get really real with yourself about your environment. Some people are doing so well because I would say two of my mentors live, one lives in Tennessee and, and the other one lives in Arkansas. Just, I mean, they live in, in, in very quiet, <laughs> very quiet places, very wholesome places. You know, for me in my twenties, I was like, I would never know. Like I want to, you know, be in, in, in fast moving cities and those types of things. But the way that they've been able to accumulate wealth by living so under their means and their houses are beautiful, everything, but the cost of living itself is just such a small percentage. Those things have to be taken into account. So you can't just go onto Instagram and say, oh, I want their life. You have to look at all the different variables that, that added up to that. Look at the different variables in your life and figure out what needs to be adjusted to reach that goal. That's a great reminder. And true, everyone I've had on this podcast who has said, oh, I quote unquote retired early or I saved $100,000 or whatever. It's like, where do you live? And they will yes. not, you, they, they're not <laughs> living in New York City or California. They're living it's in- no way. Right. No. And I think, especially now, a lot of us are reconsidering where we live um, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. maybe it was attractive at one point to live in New York City, but not when there's a pandemic. There was already a lot of people leaving New York before mm-hmm. the pandemic hit. And now, of course, um, I think New York will have its heyday again, but it's going to be a while. It's going to be a while mm-hmm. before it convinces people that this is like a safe place to be until we kind of get our hands wrapped around uh, pandemics. Right. But to your point, also, I think that what I'm learning from you, Nicole, is the importance of having transparency and honesty about your financial story, whatever that story was. If it was a story that 
started from humble beginnings, lack of resources, or the reverse, which is, you know what? I grew up wealthy. I had resources and here's how I leveraged it. A lot of times Mm -hmm. we skip that stuff because we feel like Mm -hmm. we're worried that it's going to discount our success. Well, of course you're rich. You grew up rich. Not everybody who's rich grew up rich or who grew up rich stays rich, right? So that Mm -hmm. every story Mm -hmm. requires the true story um, and don't be worried about it somehow cheapening or simplifying your merits. It's um, mm-hmm. it's important that we share all of it. Now, tell us where we can learn more about Coinfidence Conference, which is now going virtual, and just more about you. Sure, sure. So you can go to amountfinancial.com, A-M-O-U-N-T financial.com, and it'll have all of our events. We do quite a lot. We actually have some live trainings coming up on what we partner with Quickens to do will training and just making sure that wills are in place um, in our community. We have a lot of other trainings that we continuously do in the digital space. Myself, I have a book coming out in the fall called titled Make Space for Wealth. And that book is is going to be very imperative to just aligning your life so that you can keep the wealth in your life and um, grow the wealth in your life. And so ton of things, very passionate about, about this space, very passionate about just making sure that we make talking about wealth more common, uh, especially in my community and, and marginalized communities to to really eradicate the the feeling of shame that surrounds it, the feeling of being inadequate and 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 lay, at least leveling the playing field in the conversation, uh, which is which is a large, large part. And that's why I listen to your podcast so much, because it's the, the biggest part of change is, is communication and conversation. Well, thank you for contributing to that conversation, for showing up and all of the work that you're doing, Nicole. We we just honor you and thank you so much and wishing you and your family continued success and health and hope to have you back soon. Thank you. Thank you so much. To learn more about Dr. Nicole Garner-Scott, please visit her website, amountfinancial.com. She's also on Instagram at Dr. Dr. Garner-Scott. All this information's on somoneypodcast.com. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to The Mothership, The Mother Podcast, So Money, where we have the entire Black Wealth Matter series, as well as financial inspiration and stories coming at you every Monday, Wednesday, and on Fridays, I answer your money questions. And you can follow me on Instagram at Farnoosh Tarabi. Black Wealth Matters continues.